the church in America today is failing. The church in America today is in a major, major decline. And it's crazy. It's actually shocking because within the church is the message that every single person longs for in their soul. There is an irresistible message that is found inside of the church that every single human being, they are hardwired in their soul to long for that story. The message, the story of Christianity is a grand longing for every human soul, yet the church in America today is failing. Why? Why is it that when we hold the most beautiful message that everybody longs for, that every single storyteller, do you know what they're doing? They're, they're instinctively tapping into the message of Christianity without even realizing it. In order to pull at your heartstrings, why do you go to the movies? Why are you reading books? Why are you watching stuff on TV, these stories? I'll tell you why. Because somehow those stories are pointing you to Christ. Somehow they're doing it. Some way they're telling you the story of the kingdom of God, of Christianity, and the writers are smart enough to tap into that about you. But they're only offering a glimmer of what you really long for and really want. Something we say all the time here is that if Christianity doesn't sound like the absolute greatest news that you have ever heard, you are most likely misunderstanding it. If it doesn't sound like the most wonderful thing you've ever heard, you're misunderstanding it. So the question is, why is it that so many people today are misunderstanding the message of Christianity? Because they're not hearing the message clearly spoken and preached. However, why are they not entering into the churches to hear this message? It's because of this. The message of this story our lives are not being reoriented around it, around the story. The, the, we have been gripped by grace, but yet somehow we're refusing to let that grace that God has given us change us. We have an irresistible message of grace that ought to produce absolutely irresistible communities. I'm not saying that's not us. I'm saying the church in America today, you guys are super special. And, 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 and I'm going to tell you this, it's, it's primarily, primarily it starts as a leadership problem. Because our churches are filled with preachers and pastors who lack moxie. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm part of that same problem. Because when I look at my life, and if I'm being honest, and I see the message of Christianity, I see what God has done for me, and then I see the life that I'm living, I'm saying something is not adding up to my life in this news that has now been declared true about me. There's something wrong. So we're in our series called Moxie. Moxie means, it's, you know, if you have moxie, just regular moxie, you're somebody special. It means you've got grit, you've got courage, you've got determination, and you've got this strength of character. And Christian moxie is even more unique and more special because here's what it does. You have all of those things. You've got guts, but at the same time, there's a gentleness about you. There's a joy within you. There's a contentment and a peace that you carry. And it's all because if you're a Christian and you're living a life of moxie, it's all because you have found grace. 
So today we're going to see that this irresistible grace will produce an absolutely irresistible community of people that people see and they say there's something special going on there and I want to be part of what's going on. It's a community that's been gripped by grace. So here's what I want to do today. I just want to give us this challenge that we would let today mark the day that in 15 years from now, we're going to look back at this day and we're going to say, man, that's when we as a church decided we were so gripped by grace that we couldn't help become people of moxie. We couldn't help become a community of moxie. We couldn't help but become a community of people that people look in and see us and they're saying, this is absolutely irresistible. I want to be part of this. And so they got drawn in and then their lives were changed because of it. So A warning to you also. The verses today push pretty hard. Especially if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, in fact, this sermon is directed primarily to Christians. So we want to be a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community, honest conversations about faith and doubt. But today has, is primarily a sermon to the Christian. But if you're skeptical of Christianity, just listen in. And it's going to make you hesitant to become a Christian. Maybe you're like, man, should I do this? Should I become a Christian right now? You're going to be hesitant, but then you're going to hear the grace and you're going to be gripped by it. And you're going to say, how could I not do this? But yet this, this life that God's calling me to live into, it feels so hard and impossible to me. Yet I'm gripped by this grace and so I've got to go all in. So there's your warning. Philippians 1, 27 through 30 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of, your destru- of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Each week what we've been doing in the series, Moxie, is we've been, we've been starting a story. We've been extending the story each week, and we're calling the story The Gates of Grace. And today we're going to see the story extend out a little bit further, and we're going to see what happens when a community of people are gripped by grace and the absolutely irresistible community that it produces. So here's the story. Imagine that you live in a dystopia. You live in this fallen city. You live in a place where hope has died. And there are all these rich and powerful slave masters and they've hired these like evil warriors to come and rip people out of their homes so that they might come and stand in this big auditorium or this big coliseum and be auctioned off to be sold as slaves. And you, like everybody else that has been captured, you have no way to defend yourself. And then it happens. One night, your house gets raided, you and your family, and you can hear your friends from houses at other down the road screaming in terror because they have been captured by these warriors. And you and them are being brought to this big coliseum, this big place, and you're about to be auctioned off, sold off as slaves. And it's happening to you and your family. And this is your nightmare coming true. And your freedom is about to be ripped away from you and then you, you're thrown in the back of this truck. You can't see out of it. You're taken to this place, this coliseum, and you're taken out and people start bidding for you. And then you hear that they've got you and then you're thrown back in this truck 
and you're driving and you can't see anything and then all of a sudden you hear you're entering into this compound, you hear the gates open up and then the truck stops and then the door rips open of the truck and the light shines in and then you are shocked to find that you are greeted with a smile that says, I am so glad that you are here. Welcome to this place. And you step out with your family and you look around and you are confused because it looks like everyone in this place is happy. They're joyful. They have a strength to them. And you wonder what is going on and you start asking people around, what is this place? What has happened? And someone says, well, oh, you have been bought by the king of grace. He's been doing this, spending everything that he has to buy people from that place so that they are not taken as slaves. And so you find yourself in so much relief and tears are running down your face because you and your family are going to be okay. And then you're taken in to meet this king of grace and you stand there before him and the first thing he does is he offers you papers of your freedom. And you see these papers and he says, no one can take you now. Even if you go back home to your place, these papers of freedom, those, those evil slave masters, they know not to mess with me because somehow he's someone of grace, but at the same time, he has got a power behind him that no one would mess with. And so he says, you are free now. And he says, but before you go, I want you to spend some time here in these gates of grace. And I want you to see what happens when grace starts coursing through people's veins and they start believing that I have been this gracious to them and then they start living in such a way where this grace is lived out and so they take hold of it and you see it and you spend there a month but then he says, okay, it's time for you to go and you say, I don't wanna go. And he says, no, it's not your time to stay here yet. I want you to go back to your home And I want you to build a place like this there. A gate of grace for all those where you are from. And that is what today is about. We are people of heaven living on the earth. Citizens of heaven living on the earth. Building the kingdom of God here in this place. Because we have been gripped by the grace of God. So, verse 27, this is building the gates of grace. It says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, in Greek, it's literally saying, let your citizenship, like live out your citizenship in heaven in such a way that it is worthy of the gospel of Christ, meaning the good news of Jesus, meaning for the sake of Jesus, you are living in such a way that you're declaring to the world around you, you're a citizen of heaven. This is saying you've received new papers. You have a new citizenship now. Now live into that new citizenship and the freedom that you have. Now here's the context where we're at. So this is a a letter to the Philippians. so, So it's a letter to the church in Philippi. Now here's the deal in Philippi. This is a Roman colony and it's filled with ex soldiers. And they are known for their fierce patriotism. They would have had very strong allegiances to their country and to Caesar, and they would have called Caesar this. Caesar would have been considered their king, their lord, their savior, and their god. When Caesar died, the thought was he becomes like a god. And then here's what happens. All of a sudden, this message of Christianity is deposited into Philippi. 
And when it's deposited, it, de- it creates this huge uproar because here's what's happened. These ex-soldiers who have all of these sins, that they have these sins of war, and this is just sins of regular stuff like you and me. They have these sins and they're finding out there's a king who's forgiving them of their sins. And he's not just some king in this world. He's the king of the cosmos. And he's done what it takes for them to be forgiven. And in order for them to declare allegiance to this king who is Jesus... They have to commit treason. They have to be in a place where everyone is known for their fierce patriotism. And all of a sudden now they're saying, I got another king. They found grace. And they know what the cost would have been. And perhaps now their family and their friends are disowning them. They're seen as a disgrace and an outcast, but then they have a family dinner or something. I don't know what ex-soldiers do, but they have this family dinner, and they're sitting down, and uh, you know, they're on their iPads, but they don't really have that because it's back then. But the, you know, they're there, and then they're being, they're being like interrogated, like, how can you do this? And then, then the soldier says, ah, oh, you don't understand. And then he lays out, here's what Jesus has done for me. And then the family says, okay, I'm in. And the next thing you know, there's a movement forming in Philippi. And these people are giving their allegiance to Christ because they have found this grace that's now coursing through their veins. And it stirs up a happiness and a peace within them. Yet they're soldiers and they somehow have more courage than they had before. And people are looking on and they're saying, oh man, I think I want some of that. And so it happens. And then a movement is formed. So here's the question that we got to ask ourselves. Do people see the way that we live and say, man, that is someone with some moxie? Do people see the way that we live and they say, man, look at them. They have such grit. They have guts. They got character. They got determination. Yet at the same time, like, I feel like I could just tell them like the worst stuff about me and they would it, hold me tenderly with love and with joy and teach me about peace. Would they characterize you as someone like that? Would people walk into our church and say, man, something special is happening here? And it's not because they were so moved by some sermon. and It's not because they were so moved by some great song, but it was because of the people were absolutely irresistible to them. They were welcomed in such a way that they've never been welcomed before. So Paul here, he speaks of three ingredients of a community that has moxie. Here they are. Unity, courage, and sacrifice. Unity, courage, and sacrifice. Verse 27 says, be of one spirit with one mind striving for the faith of the gospel. Meaning striving for people to know the message of Christianity. Striving for this story to get out. United together and seeking to live lives of grace and forgiveness united in becoming a community that's absolutely irresistible. Okay, let me tell you something about the church in America, because we're special, I'm not talking about us, right? The church in America is everything but united. There are denominations and denominations and split of those denominations, and then within those denominations, there are different beliefs about their denomination. And everybody is spending so much time arguing, Christians 
arguing about who's right all the while there are people there is a world around us that is desperate to hear this news and they're desperate to stop searching for it in novels they're desperate to stop searching for it in movies that they watch like this like the avenger movie like that's so amazing it's so amazing but every single part of that movie that we love it's tugging at us to get us to go to christ there's something in us that longs for a better savior Our, our aim here is that we would be united together as one in Christ. And then you know what we can do? We can sit across the table from each other and we could say, hey, I was reading the Bible and I think this is true. And they say, well, I think this is true actually because I read this part here. And then you could talk about it across the table, but guess what? You're united together as one. You have different political beliefs, but you're united together as one. You can talk about, you can seek to persuade each other all you want, but if any inkling is showing of you not being united together as one anymore, you stop it and you figure out what's wrong. It is embarrassing how much the church in America is divided, and I think it's a disgrace to the king of grace. It's easier for us to make enemies within the walls of Christianity than for us to actually seek to do what we've been called to do. Why, why is the church today not so excited about this grace? Why are we ignoring this command? This is a command from God. Advance my kingdom. I told you, told you this was going to hit you hard. You know, in every letter, almost every, I think every letter that Paul writes, he talks about unity, being united for the sake of the kingdom of God advancing. But I think we spend more time, you know what I think the church in America looks like today? You know what I think it looks like? And this is, again, this is not you guys because we're special. Uh, church in America today looks like this. I have discovered this great news about Christ and I am so excited about it. And now I'm going to go back home and I'm not going to say a word about it. And I'm going to go about my life like it was exactly the same. Yet somehow God has died for me. But uh, I'm going to leave it there. I'm just going to go back to life the same as it always has been. And we wonder why the church is seen as irrelevant. We're not united for the cause of Christ. We're, united, we're disunited for the sake of comfort. Here's what I think we ought to go for. We ought to be a church that is doing that, that's united for, we ought to be like this. We are united in the essentials, meaning we're united in Christ. He is the center. And then we have freedom in the non-essentials, meaning we could sit across the table from each other and disagree, but it doesn't matter. It's not going to shake our unity. And then in all things we do, we will love. Unity in the essentials, Freedom in the non-essentials and in all things love. But if we welcome people into a church that's divided, it's not going to be very attractive and they're never going to hear the message that is irresistible. People, again, we should not love the grove because of sermons or because of music. We should, people should love the grove because of the people in the grove. An attractive community. Because our world is disunited and it is attractive to see a place that has found unity. So, 
First, unity. Second, courage. Courage is attractive. It says in verse 28, do not be frightened. Don't be frightened by those who stand against you in your faith. Now remember, the situation in Philippi is much different than we are experiencing today. It was treason for them to become a Christian. They're hostile to the message. They would have been an embarrassment to their family. There'd be tons of pressure because it was an illegal religion. And the church would have felt this danger, but Paul says don't be frightened by your opponents because, in fact, when you show courage, this will be a clear sign of their destruction and of your salvation. In other words, they're going to look at the way that a Christian community is living with the courage that they have in the face of whatever they're up against in Philippi, even death, and they're going to see their courage and they're going to be like, those people have something that I do not have and I want that. What is this? What are you calling this? And they say, oh, do we call this salvation? Oh, oh, I want that. Give it to me. How do I get it? Oh, you would just go to the king of grace. Well, what do I have to do? I have to abandon everything? Yes. Pledge your allegiance to him. It'll be worth it. It'll actually make you a better citizen in your city, in your country, whatever. Paul is a man who's got some moxie. Last week we saw, he said, to live as Christ and to die as gain, meaning, here's what Paul said, no matter what's going on in my life, if I'm about to be killed for the sake of the gospel, which was about to happen to him, he says, to die is gain, meaning, do whatever you want to me, because I'm about to go to be through the gates of grace forever. So do your worst, and it's going to produce the best for me. Bring it on. You can imagine, so we're talking about Memorial Day, you can imagine a a soldier in war, who gives, who's given his life, can you imagine the difference it would be looking forward, knowing that you're risking your life, but knowing that, hey, I'm good, because even if I die today, it's going to bring me into paradise. That's a completely different mindset. That's why Paul had that courage, and he's trying to get the church in Philippi to have that same courage as he has. And Paul has this courage because of the depths that he has gone with Christ. He's in prayer. He's reading the word and he's just like scouring through it trying to understand what it's saying. He's in God prayer about with God. And he's developed he's experiencing an intimacy and it's giving him this courage. Now, let's get real for a minute. We are not persecuted in America like they were being persecuted in Philippi. The biggest things we complain about is how oh, God's not allowed in schools anymore. Or we complain that maybe we're being mocked a bit for our faith, at most. But you understand, people were dying for what they believed then. And they were doing it with joy. And there are actually people dying today, not in America, but other places throughout the world, for what they believe. As they proclaim Christianity to be true, they're being killed for it. So the question we have to ask is, what would we do? I know that sounds extreme, but it's what the Philippian church was facing. Allegiance to Christ or lay down their allegiance to Christ and live or die. So what would we do? I know what you'd probably say. Um, So what do we do if we lack the courage to say, man, I'm, I believe in this, I'm all in, I got it, let's go. Do, whatever, do your worst to me. 
What do we do when we lack the courage for that? How do we learn to be bold enough? You just go to God and ask him. And you say, God, give me this kind of courage. And guess what you're going to find? Maybe you don't get all of it right at once, but you're going to find yourself being more bold, but you're also going to find yourself being more wise because you realize the the importance of expanding God's kingdom around you. And so you say to God, God, give me some wisdom. I want to know how to do this, but I also want to be bold enough to do this at the same time. Meaning you're letting the quality of your life set you apart. And because of that, the words that you speak pack some punch behind them. Grace that makes you even laugh at death. And if your neighbors or coworkers would not characterize you as someone who has this grit and this guts and this determination and this strength of character, and, but also accompanied with it, like they could come to you and they know that you're going to be loving to them and you're going to, be, you're going to teach them how to be joyful and you're going to show them peace. If they don't see you as that, then that means this. You've got some soul searching to do and you've got to go spend some time with God and you've got to figure out what is inside of you, what's going on inside of your soul that's keeping you from having that moxie. And perhaps, perhaps the reason that we, that Christians today, lack the courage to speak this great news that we have heard is not so much because we don't know how to say it, but more because our lives are not a reflection that we actually believe this message to be true. And again, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. This is me too. You're like, man, I should have just gone to that Memorial Day party this morning. And I'm not saying that we live perfect lives. I'm saying we live lives filled with grace. Meaning when we mess up with our coworker and we were nasty to them, we go and we just say sorry. Because we have felt, we have felt the, what it feels like to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for everything that I've done. And he says, it's okay. And so now we can be willing to go to say sorry to somebody. Even if they don't say it's okay, we can actually still be sorry and we can go to them. That's a life that's filled with grace. That's a life that's filled with moxie. All right, sacrifice. This is the third one. So we have, we have unity, courage, sacrifice. And this really does sound like a, a battle, like unity, courage, and sacrifice. Like, yeah, I'm going to charge out. It's great, great for Memorial Day. So verse, verse 29, sacrifice. You're not going to want to hear this. And you're like, I didn't want to hear everything else you said to me today, David. Well, here you go. It's getting worse. Um, it says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Not only believe, but suffer for his sake. I'm telling you what it's saying. And then this is not suffering in general. This is not like life in this world is hard and we're suffering. This is like I am suffering for the sake of the advancement of God's kingdom. It's a very different thing. It's to say, and this is about sacrifice, because it looks different for us than in Philippi, but it's to say this, I have been rescued by grace that I did not deserve, and now my bones are aching for people to hear about this. 
is this a thing? Like, is this what is expected of the Christian life? It's saying it right here. This is not for pastors. This is not for the super-duper Christians. This is for every single Christian. For the sake of Christ, that you wouldn't only believe, that, but so that you would suffer. Meaning, and we're going to look at it today, is we're going to be sacrificing. Because we're not going to suffer like the, Philipp, the, the church in Philippi. Because we're not being persecuted the way they were. But we're making sacrifices for the sake of the advancement of God's kingdom. And, and you got to know this. you got to see this in your life. We all make sacrifices for what we think is worth it. If it's worth it, we're willing to make a sacrifice. If we're working out, there's the pain that we bring on ourselves for the sake of our health or for the sake of, you know, I, I've been trying to get big. Obviously, it's working really well. I'm huge. Uh, and, but we're bringing pain about, upon ourselves in order for some type of gain, in order for some type of reward. We sacrifice for our kids. We sacrifice for the sake of our jobs. We sacrifice money for the sake of going out on dates, or we sacrifice dates so that we can save money. But we're constantly making a sacrifice all the time for something. We, I never went to Disney as an adult. I go to Disney as, all the time for my kids. Spend money, gas getting there. Spend money for hotels. Don't spend money on the tickets because those were a gift. But still, there's sacrifices that are made for the sake of something that we think is worth it. We sacrifice for our friends because they're worth it. At least I hope we think that. So again, another question that kind of like, ugh. are we sacrificing for the sake of Christ? I mean, do you really believe in all this? Do you believe in Christianity? Do you believe in the church? Because Christ does. Christ Christ has said, the church is my tool to rescue the world. Do we believe it's worth it to sacrifice for Christ? And if we say, yeah, I believe it, then do our lives reflect we believe that's true? Are you willing to give your time for a friend, for them to find this faith? Or maybe something bad's happening to them and it's the middle of the night. Are you willing to leave your house at 2 o'clock in the morning to go and just sit with them and be a friend? Are you willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of God's kingdom? Serve in the church. The Bible, so, so there's your time. Next, your treasure. The Bible says give 10% of your money for the sake of God's kingdom. You know what we do right now? You know you're not supposed to talk about money in the church. Did you know that? Like right now, you feel a little bit uncomfortable, don't you? Because I just said money in church. And you know why that happens to us? Because we're not making these grand sacrifices like in Philippi. What is the biggest thing that we sacrifice today is money. So, the question is this. What has a greater grip on you? Grace, or what are you gripping more, grace or money? Or what has a grip on you, grace or money? Talents. Are you seeking your job? Like, this is your job. This is what you're good at. Are you seeking through your job to bring God's kingdom or to expand your career? Both should happen. You should be expanding your career, but 
simultaneously at the same time you're expanding God's kingdom. You got to figure that out. How do you take your job and expand God's kingdom there? I don't know. I'll have lunch with you. We can figure it out. But that is the calling upon every single Christian. Your kids, when you take them to your sport, the sports, they're doing their sports, you know, soccer or whatever it is, they're going. Are you seeing, this is an opportunity for me to expand God's kingdom. You see this, like, this is like the Christian life is meant to just like be a reflection of everybody's got to know that this is true, not in a weird way, but just in a way that you're being authentic to who you are and you authentically want people to find out what you have found to be the most beautiful news you've ever heard. Okay, so my guess is that if you are like me right now, you are sinking down in your chair. If you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're like, yeah, get him. The Bi- you got to know this. If you've been a Christian long enough, you know that the Bible has a way of convicting the Christian. The Bible has a way of saying, hey, like we're reading this and, and we're seeing we're not living in the way we should live. And then so we go to God and we're like, God, I'm messing up. And he's like, it's okay. Like, everything's good. I've died for your sins. You are fine. Just like, let's hug for a while. Okay, do you feel good now? Like, you feel better? Okay, good. Now let's go out and do what I've called you to do. And then you go out and you're like, God, I'm, like, I'm forgetting about you and I'm not wanting to do it anymore. And he says, okay, come on, let's hug again. And you hug and you're like, oh man, this feels so good. He says, okay, now it's time to go back out again. And this kind of just keeps happening. And then the next thing you know, you've gotten so good at just going back to God that you're just like holding on and you're not letting go. And you're like, let's go do this together. And that's when the magic happens. That's when the beautiful stuff happens, when you're going with God and you're not letting go of him. My guess, well, this is true in the church in America today, is that Christianity has become a spectator sport. Where you come and you sit down and you watch me and I try to put on a really good show to captivate you. And then the band comes up and they put on a good show and they captivate you. And, and like at a football game, you're watching. This is good. Good game today, good game. Or the next week, ah, it was okay. The jokes kind of didn't land that week, so eh. But, you know, next week will be better. Or is Christianity really, you're on the field, and you're playing in the game. And you go, and you run a route, and the route doesn't work out, but you go back, and you're like, hey, we've got to change the way we're doing this. For the sake of winning, for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. There's nothing greater to fight for than this. And again, we saw this last week. This doesn't primarily happen here. It happens here. You're strengthened. You're filled here. And then you go out to your places. You're the ones expanding God's kingdom. This is us to do this huddle before we go out and run the play. And if you are like most Christians in America, we are, what we're really doing is we're just waiting for somebody else to step up. And we say, I like the idea of this attractive community. I really, that sounds really good. I'd love to be a part of that community. In fact, if there's another church doing that, I want to go over there and be part of that. Because here's what we're saying. I want that, but I'm not willing to be part of being the one who helps build it. And so we just keep searching for it and searching for it and searching for it. When the answer the whole time has been for you to join in the cause and help build it.
you got to make the first move. You. Because what is attractive is not me putting on a show. It's a Christian community that's living out the implications of what God has done for us. All right, so as we're cowering now and seeing that, man, this is like, really? This is what God's calling me to? And we say, how are we, am I going to make this first move? Because I don't want to do it. Here's how you do it. You don't act. First, you don't act. If, you, if we're going to become a community of moxie together, a community with peace and joy, yet this grit and this guts, we don't act first. We look at our king of grace. Now, let's take unity. Do you know what God has done to unite us together? Like, we are literally spiritually bound together as one in Christ. Do you know, and to God, do you know what Jesus has done to do that? So you take God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, joined together as one, so how do they come and bring us into this unity with God? Here's how. Jesus is ripped from Christ. No, Christ is ripped from the Father and the Son. Don't, don't get distracted. Look at me, look at me. This is the best part. He's ripped apart from his Father on the cross. Why? Because he came to get you. And on the cross, for all of the reasons that we don't deserve to be swept up into this grand dance with God, Jesus dies. And then he gives us all of his perfection and he fixes us all up and he cleans us all up and he says, okay, come in now. Come be with God and we have access now to this. <laughs> we, look, at, listen, we have access now to the grand Trinitarian dance that will, end, that will go on and on and on for all of eternity. Dancing with God. So that we could be bound together, each other with Christ than to God. Courage. Do you know the courage that it took Jesus to do what he did for you? This was no easy thing. So the night before Jesus is crucified, he's in a garden and he's praying. And as he's praying, he begins to understand what's about to happen to him. He's about to go to the cross He's about to endure his worst nightmare so we can be rescued from ours. And do you know what starts happening to him in that garden? He starts sweating blood, which is something that actually can happen to someone if they're under enough stress. It's called hematidrosis. So he's getting a picture of the cross and about what's about to come upon him, where he's going to experience the wrath of all the, the wrath from God from all the sins of the world. They're going to be thrown upon him, and he is about to be crushed under the weight of it. And so he starts sweating blood. But guess what? At the same time, he says, the cross is the joy that was set before me because he was going to get you from it. He would be then united to you for all of eternity. That's the sacrifice that he made for you. 
He's not just an example to us of how we should live. Don't fall for that lie that he's some example. He is a rescuer and he is a savior and he has come for you. And when you are united to him, you get all of the same moxie that he has and it pours through into your veins and it pours out of you so that now every handshake and every hug, you have grace oozing out of you to give to others and that becomes very irresistible. I say, I say, We look back at this day, this day right here, 15 years from now, and we look at all the lives that have been changed and we say, that was the day where something clicked for me. That was the day where grace that was flowing through my veins, that was remaining inactive, that was the day that I was activated. And I was, and I said, I'm building a community and I'm going to make the first move. I'm going to do this. And then we all do it together. And we're going to look back at this day and we're going to say, man, that was a beautiful day because that was the day that we got real about all this. God, I pray now that um, in all the ways that we are feeling, like maybe we're not measuring up, I pray in those ways that we would rely on your grace and we would, be, and we would just be at peace knowing that you have covered everything. But then I pray that that grace that's pumping through our veins would cause us to be active in our faith. That it wouldn't be a passive faith and it wouldn't be a faith that just sits here and just observes, but it would be a faith that is actively involved in seeking bring your kingdom. And God, I know that there are people here that are completely overwhelmed by what I have said today, and I pray now that the grace that you have given them would activate in their soul, and they would see that they are called to this. God, I pray that we would live with the purpose that you've called us into. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.